it took me a long time to really be open to receive and not deflect. I was like the queen of deflecting um, compliments or when people would point things out, I'd be like, oh no, but look at them or oh no, but oh no, it wasn't me, it was them. Um, and it wasn't really until like the last, I would say maybe six years of my life where I've had certain people in my life who would just be very like um, pointed with me mm -hmm. and just be like, no, like why do you think people bring you on or ask you to help with the same things is because you have this gift or whatever they call it, right? Talent, skill. And once I really took a step back and I would look at like what I do and why I do it and the success of it, um, whether it's in my classrooms or the teams that I can build, I realize, and, and even my own children, like I made many mistakes, but when I look at all three of those aspects, which I really love, those are like my passions, events, um, teaching and m my children is I do it all the same and mm -hmm. I was like oh you know what that is my that is my gift I guess that is what because it doesn't feel like work even though it is work to parent and to teach and to you know run operations um, at an event Welcome back to Hawaii Real, everybody. I'm your host, Iwo Ke'ehu, and we are coming live from the Garcia House. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to this channel on YouTube. And if you're one of our great listeners to the audio versions on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, hey, do us a real favor. Share it to uh, one of your friends, one of your family members. It's great. It's going to help us out so much, and it's great content. Today, I have with me from Farrington High School. Dun -dun -dun -dun. Teresa Schubert. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I like the hair. Is that your natural hair? Like, it uh, it's curly like that? It is. It's like, it's wow. It's actually tame because I showered. I wanted to shower before I came. So. <laughs> Earlier, it was like kind of big. So in an hour, it might be like bigger than what it is. So okay. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so coming from Farrington High School, you do a lot of events and stuff like that. Not just with Farrington, but outside of Farrington also? Yes. So what is your kind of background with that? Well, what do you teach at Farrington? Right. So I am the student activities coordinator. Okay. And um, most people think I'm a counselor when I say that. But my job entails, um, it's like if you can think of an umbrella of the overall goal for a student in their four years at school. Besides the academic portion, okay. my job is to give them uh, an extension of that so an extension of their the the learning in the classroom and that can manifest in prom like something more like social or something more like civic where there mm. are elections you know voting um or um homecoming week you know the spirit of competition <laughs> you know sportsmanship and um, just being participatory and just a lot uh giving them things that where they can engage um, overall with mm -hmm. their high school life. So um, unlike like an athletic director who does the sports section, the sports okay. aspect of the extension of learning, I do the, more the social, social emotional, I like to call it. And but so, not a counselor. I'm not a counselor. I mean, <laughs> I was like, wait, I, that sounds like a counselor. Well, I feel like every teacher wears that hat right. too. You know, Definitely. you are counseling. But um, I feel very fortunate. I also get to be the leadership trainer teacher hmm. so the, the students who take my class as an elective they are exposed to a, a variety of literature that is used like at the management level um, we also read articles by um, different authors that talk about the 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 commonalities of what, what makes great leaders like good to great you know like what what is that little thing that pushes people over over like to become great leaders and to like inspire people and for me I found like that totally speaks to my heart right. because I know in my own um in my own lifetime like playing sports and having a few great teachers and um a mother a single mother who was very like um into like discipline but purpose like very purposeful it's like I seen all of that like come together for me and so when I do teach it, I'm not just teaching something in theory. I'm teaching it because I've practiced it myself. Teaching from experience. Yeah. Like that. It's great. So you're, basically it's coming down to you're, you're also teaching leadership uh, 
classes and stuff at a high school level. Yeah. Uh, is that a normal thing for high school? Because I'm thinking back to high school. I'm like, I don't. Well, we had our like JROTC, mm-hmm. and I guess that kind of lends to leadership. But outside of JROTC, I don't recall having leadership classes. Right. In so, high school. So that is the most common answer I get from adults when they finally figure out what I do. And I would say that that would be because at most high schools, leadership, the course that I teach is reserved for those who are in elected official type of roles. So like your student student government government Mm -hmm. officers, your class council officers. Um, But I'm very fortunate that our administration at Farrington High School, both the the former um, administration, Ms. Catherine Payne, who is now president of the Board of Education, and our current principal, um, Alfredo Carganella, who is Farrington's first alumni principal and Filipino, um, they're, they're both very supportive of me not sticking to that i was allowed to like open my course to like anyone and so me being um with my own experiences i i'm not gonna lie like i would gun for the really loud kids who are like outside interrupting my meetings because they have a lot to say or Mm -hmm. the really opinionated ones or you know the the athletes the the captains the um the creative kids and i because i i love flavor and I, i i really believe like flavor is what helps a culture like the change in a culture um and and it also helps with like engaging more people it's like being able to cast a a broader net because i have different drivers at at the table you know so yeah that's what i do i like that you brought the culture into that because that also plays in part to like your your past and your history too because you're part Samoan, part Mm -hmm. caucasian yes afakasi yeah and i just posted like a a short was a 15 minute video or something like that from a prior guest mm. uh Ito and he's same thing uh part Samoan part white and he grew up in that same you know environment where you know he didn't know which cousins or whatever to relate to mm-hmm. better with and, you know he just kind of was in the middle you know did you have that kind of experience growing up and do you see that kind of experience at the uh, today at schools yeah that's ooh yeah so my mother is of Samoan ancestry, but you wouldn't be able to tell. My mom uh, was blonde for mm-hmm. a long time, even after she had me. My mom had me when she was 16, so she was very youthful already looking with me with a little afro. <laughs> um, my father is pure Samoan. Um, and, you know, every time I was with her, I remember her being questioned all the time. And I remember many incidences of us standing in line together, she's holding my hand, mm-hmm. very blonde, and people would be speaking in someone, but she can understand because she went to high school there. Mm. She was a cheerleader there. My father was a football player there. You can figure the rest out. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, <laughs> went there. Yeah, and um, <laughs> so growing up, um, I was raised more so by my mother. If I, if I did see my father, it would be the summers I would be sent to Samoa to go and live, um, stay with my father and then mm. come back to Honolulu to stay with my mom. And I saw like this stark difference of expectations, you know. And so my mom, I, I would later realize that my mom raised us the way she did because she was a single parent. And she had like zero time for us to, uh, to not assimilate to whatever environment she was put in, you know, whether it was like a different workspace or we were living with family or we found a place or she's dating somebody and, you know, and we we had to go to a different school. And whereas in Samoa, everything was basically, I mean, it was always the same. Like I knew, I knew, I knew where I fit in. I knew my role yet because I was the Afakasi child. I, I did realize later on that I was treated differently. Of course. Right. But you're treated differently no matter what throughout the entire time yes whereas here locally you're treated differently in this way and then you're treated differently in a different way and then you're treated differently in the other third way right right so for example elementary i went to seven elementary schools Mm. and i think you beat me (laughs) wow what how many how many elementary schools um five wow see that's still too much i feel now that i'm a teacher i'm like totally that is crazy however I now know, and I'm sure maybe speaking for you, that's where I learned how to adapt quickly and um, 
and I find like that's my skill that I have till today. Like I can, you can plot me almost anywhere, and I'm I I can adapt, adapt and mesh, and, and mesh into it. Yeah. Right, right. My sister likes to say like, "Oh, you're like a chameleon," <laughs> which which sometimes is good, but not good. But however, um, yeah. So my, I got that song stuck in my head. <laughs> so karma, karma, my, karma, karma, <laughs> karma, chameleon. Stop! Now I'm seeing boy George in my head. <laughs> you did it to me first. <laughs> So my mother um, wanted us to only attend schools that she felt were were going to be beneficial to us. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't want us getting in trouble. You know, she didn't want us to follow the path. Sure. Whatever that she went down. So I went to schools that were predominantly Japanese. With, with Japanese peers. So I was always the different kid. I was the kid with the big hair. I was the, you know, I looked different. Schubert, I was called all kind of like, you know. They they would they would really manipulate my name and and um I, I just got what used to it. What was the worst one or the funniest one? Uh Qbert. I <laughs> you know the the game where that yes. thing just goes <laughs> the little orange Qbert. Yeah, yeah. They call me Qbert. I was like, yeah. Okay. Like, I can deal with that. Um so um but I it, it was when I when I entered middle school, that's when I had my first struggle with like identity. Like I didn't really know which card to play right. be, because at the at, I went to Kaimuki Middle School and it was like you had the local kids from Palola Valley mm-hmm. but they're Hawaiian I'm not Hawaiian and I used to hear how they would talk about Samoans like oh you know back at back then someone it wasn't cool to be Samoan because you didn't have the rock and all this but uh so I lied so my the people I went to school in middle school sorry everybody who I went to school in middle school <laughs> um I used to lie and say I was Hawaiian because mm-hmm. I wanted to be accepted. Sure. Um, and and at the same time, I remember my cousins from Samoa would like question me about why am I denying my identity? Mm-hmm. You know, like why do you tell people you're Hawaiian or why do you deny that you're Samoan? Right. And you know, at the time, in my defense, I'd be like, well, you don't go to school here. You go to school in right. Samoa. You're Samoan in Samoa. Like you don't have to fight this identity kind of crisis I guess I was going through in middle school and um and then when I went to high school I went to Radford and that was like a whole like oh, military families and stuff super mm-hmm. different for me I was like wait now I'm immersed in a culture where we are totally the minority just being local you're the minority mm-hmm. and I would uh my most famous story is I would walk into a classroom and teachers would look at me because I, I played sports, so they'd be like, oh, you're the jock. You don't belong in this honors class. What? So they would ask me to show them, like, my paperwork, or mm-hmm. can you go to the counselor and make sure you're in this class? So stereotyping you just, just by walking in. Totally. And they're teachers. And they're teachers, but I actually liked it. Because I was like, wow, this is a different kind of discrimination. Because, you know, growing up in Hawaii, I saw other ethnic groups being sure. discriminated against. But I was like, wow, this is kind of cool that they're discriminating because... I'm an athlete, I'm Samoan, so I cannot possibly be in an honors English class. And so I use that as a, like a fuel for me, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, that's right. I am smart. And, um, but then I found that I had this little clash with the Samoans who I went to school with because I wasn't Samoan enough. Because I didn't walk around with my... It's like you're in a lose-lose situation. Yeah, so, yeah, because I didn't have, like, my E lava lava. I wouldn't play volleyball with them in the quad. You know, I, I had to I had to always study. We're like not stereotyping, but yeah. <laughs> no, but th- that's what they would do, and they, yeah. would, they would talk about me, like, oh, why don't you... Or, like, oh, you think you're better than us. And I'm like, no, I, I have a sh- very strict mom, you know, who yeah. has, like, huge expectations for me. So my coaches at the time, my volleyball coach... Um, Wynette Mitchell and Malia Ane. Malia Ane is um, of Samoan ancestry too, and Coach uh, Wynette Mitchell is Hawaiian. And they, when they when they met me, they were like, "We don't want you to be a statistic because we can see exactly where you mm-hmm. could go." And so they're the ones who helped instill time management, the importance of goal setting. And so I would hide out in the chemistry lab because I knew no one else would come find me there and get all my homework done. Because when I get home, I had expectations of doing feao. So even though I wasn't raised very Samoan, my mom still had like, you come home, you clean the house. Like, you know, you you take care of your environment. I'm the oldest. So I help out with my younger brothers and Mm. sisters. Then I can do my homework. Then I can have social time if there's time for that. 
So I was like in this dilemma of, um, okay, how, wh what is it to be someone? Like I, I remember not even being sure because when I went to Samoa, I was treated differently too. And then when I came home, it was like people's perception of someone, like I didn't fit it. I can I can I cannot tell you if I got a dollar for every person who said, "Oh, do you go to Kamehameha?" or "Oh, did you go to Kamehameha?" I I have pretty money in the bank. Yeah. Because people and and it's sad just, because people yeah, think like, you like you're educated, your you're articulate and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so very very interesting. So for me, I feel like Farrington was where I was supposed to be as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Because when I first got there, I first taught at Kalani High School. Okay. And when I came to Farrington, I was like, wow. John, John's over there shaking his fist. He's a <laughs> Kalani grad. Are you? Oh, yeah. Nice <laughs> <laughs> falcon. Um, immediately, the students were like, not what's your name, miss. What are you? Like, mm. they wanted to know. And when I, because they would hear rumors, like. You should have just started talking Spanish to them or something. That'd or Japanese. Awesome. Or Japanese. <laughs> you speak Japanese? I'm a Japanese studies major. Wow. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but. Little renaissance lady here. <laughs> so, students would be like, you're someone for real? And I just noticed, like, they would gravitate to me. Even if they didn't have my class. They would just mm -hmm. kind of walk by and like, miss, you someone. And it's just this whole, like connecting with other students or like I learned like oh it's like giving them hope that like like hey we're, we're not as low as other people put us or or like I'm hoping like it helped them take a harder look at themselves that they don't have to put themselves there as well so yeah no because like you said before the rock and you know some of those football players and stuff like that that have mm -hmm. come out from of someone descent mm -hmm. uh, even in you know, here in Hawaii, like some ones were seen as like the troublemakers and stuff. You know, and they're talking back in the nineties and eighties and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I so you asked the question earlier, like if I see it in the high schools, I definitely see it where, um, and I I, ha I have these uh, very honest conversations with my students when I hear them inadvertently making <laughs> like racist remarks. Sure. I'm like. Because it's, it's about, like, they'll say, like, Micronesian. Yeah, like, that's where I was getting at. It's like so I, I was telling them, like, you know, these are the same comments that were thrown at me. Because mm -hmm. I'm from the 70s, 80s. And I'm like, and it's very hurtful. It's not true. You know, you just got to, I mean, yeah, there's a few bad apples that unfortunately, you know, create this, like, net of, like, yeah, yeah, they're all like that. You know, all the Samoans are dumb and all they do is play sports or um, you know, they were once upon a time the ones in the jails, too. And yeah. now I see the same things happening with our Micronesian population. Um, whom, like, many of them are, are awesome. Like, they start clubs to help um, downplay, you know, to, to educate others about <coughs> their own ethnicity. And they, they do a lot for our community, but it's just overshadowed by the current events. I mean, if you go back far enough... Like, it used to be the Filipinos, and then it used to be the Chinese, and it used to be the Japanese. Right. They were treated this way. Right. And nationwide, it you go back far enough, it was the Irish that were treated poorly, you know? Right. So it happened to everybody, and it's just a generational thing of overcoming, you know? But people today need to just stop that stereotyping, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't help. Right. It's just worse. Exactly. It makes things worse. <laughs> well, just about what we were just talking about, like... Teaching uh, and how how that that the finance aspect isn't really being taught in school. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I I feel that is the most disappointing uh, latest news that we got that the bill to introduce financial literacy in the schools was killed. Okay, talk about that. How come? Well, so what what is being taught in schools now as far as financial literacy? What was the bill that was going to improve it? And then what's going on now? So I feel that when when I was in high school and I think you perhaps I think those from um, up until maybe the early 90s, okay. we were fortunate to learn things like how to write a check. What yeah. does, uh, a, you know, balancing a checkbook look like? Yeah, yeah. Um, filling out applications. Uh, I believe we also had like home economics classes yep. that introduced us to just the idea, the semblance of 
managing a home. Sewing, cleaning, cooking. Right. Mending things or, uh, you remember that flower baby or, or, yeah, or you some people around have eggs. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. So it's we like had a rice a, baby. Okay. You had a rice baby. Okay. So it was flour or, or an egg or what have you. And all of that has now since been replaced with, um, I feel more unnecessary curriculum that, uh, is, f- I, I personally, I feel like the agenda is for statewide testing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my question as a mother with five children of my own, seeing my children take different paths, whether it's private school or public school is when they graduated, like, did they really need that? And I know for me, the answer was no, because it was what I know that I taught them in the household or the absence of what I, like, maybe I forgot to teach them. That's what manifested in their young adult lives. Right. But school is just supposed to teach them like the standard or basics of like a wide range of things. Exactly. Right. But are they missing out on that wide range of things with certain items? Are they going too broad or what's, what's the dilemma? Like what, how are they, how are they missing the boat with finances? I feel like the dilemma is number one, they took away a lot of the home economic experiences that they would have. My own children, I thought it was just my students, but I forgot to look inward. Like my own children didn't know how to like mend. Like, you know, if something broke, like the shirt you're wearing, mm-hmm. if their button broke, they're like, oh, mom. And they want to like donate it. And I'm like, because a broken button, because of a button. Yeah. And I'm like, no. And, you know, when we talk about sustainability, like I feel like this whole shift of, oh, I don't know how to fix it. So I'm just going to donate it. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes it ends up in the landfills. Like that's a whole nother conversation. But it's because I feel like we're not sticking to the basics of when we raise generations, are we really teaching them to be successful for the rest of their adult life, which could be the next 40 years of their life, if you know. And so where I feel like the schools are missing the boat is we are not teaching them relevant skills that they need immediately upon exiting high school. Instead, we're looking at everyone's going to go to college, which for me, I went to college. I have my master's that helped me. However, that should not be the blanket answer for everybody. Right. Because we need people to go into vocational trades and all trades. That. Yep. Because yep. who do we call when your toilet doesn't work? Yeah, you need you need plumbers, you need, plumbers, you need electricians, electricians. Yeah, you need people to fix your AC. Carpenters. Need, exactly. And I feel like we downplay that. Like right. we don't we if you look at many high schools across the nation, they took away those Voltec type of um, courses mm. and everything is just academic like the academics. And when we talk about something as sharply focused as finances, it really baffles me because finances is something we will all forever have to deal with for the rest of our lives. And unfortunately, in the absence of being taught in the house, because maybe as we were discussing earlier, it could be um, depending on your parents. It's always you you acquire knowledge from your immediate environment. And for most of us, it's our parents or maybe even grandparents. Mm -hmm. And they may have outdated knowledge as to what it means to be financially literate. Totally. And, and then some of us may assign a value to where we are financially to our self-worth. And then that's Mm. where it gets dangerous too. And so in school, I feel like if we did financial, if we did offer not even offer. I feel like it should be mandatory where before they exit high school, they understand what is a credit score. Because a lot of my own students who I work with, I will ask them to do a, uh, you know, the typical like dream board. Like, okay, where do you want it? Where do you see yourself in the next three years or five years or eight years or whatever? And they all talk about, you know, the American dream. I want to have a car, a home, get a degree, have a family. But when I backwards map with them, okay, how are you going to do that? Okay, how are you going to do that? And even something as simple as when they all complain, right? The typical teenager (laughs) complaint. I can't wait till I'm 18. I can't wait till I get out of the house. I'm going to buy my own car. I'm going to get my own place. I'm going to get my own cell phone. And I, you know, I entertain it. And then I ask them, okay, how are you going to do that? And then I back, I love to backwards map with them. Yeah. So, so who pays for your phone now? My mom and, you know, she's always like, give me your phone. I'm like, it's my phone. And she's like, no, I pay for that. So, you know, that's why they want their own phone. But when I tell them, like, do you know what it takes to get your own phone? You can't just walk into any AT&T Sprint and say, hey, I want a phone. Like, 
you they're gonna do a credit check and they're like miss i don't even have a job i'm like i I know know. yeah Yeah. so it's like from my own experiences over the past couple two decades of working with teenagers i'm like it's very obvious that we are we are missing the boat in preparing them for their immediate adult world starting with simple like financial literacy because they they have no idea and many fortunately for me many of my students will go out and then i'll run into them or they'll you know with social media they'll keep in in touch and i always ask the same question did we insert high school name did we prepare you for your young adult life Mm -hmm. and they always say no in college they're like oh yeah i mean i did well in my classes but miss i didn't know i needed this and this i wish i learned about about this and so you know student voice will say like oh we want financial literacy classes so it's sad that um as much as our administration may may push it or be for it it just I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure why it keeps dying at the Right. So I guess one of my questions would be, are we putting too much emphasis on what kids are not allowed to do as they grow up that and is. not having that responsibility? Because we, we were talking off camera about gun control and gun rights. Mm-hmm. And like in the 1800s, you know, you're 13, 14, 15 years old. Well, you're starting a family, you're buying a house, you're buying a farm. You know, and yeah, you have your musket and blah, blah, blah. But like nowadays, like you're 13, 14, 15, like you're trying to be popular in high school or whatever, trying to play a video game and stuff like that. You're not really learning the life skills. And are we allowing that? Are we being, are we as adults being the enablers, not putting enough responsibility on these teenagers and allowing them to, hey, you know what? You don't have to drink until, you don't get to drink until you're 21. So we're not going to have that discussion. We're going to have that whole responsibility thing. We're not going to put that on you until you turn 21. And I mean, not specifically in that role, but, um, you know, that could be covering the whole financial thing. Like, Hey, you're 16. You don't need to know about finances yet. It's like, no, maybe they, maybe they do. Maybe they need to have responsibility. Maybe they need to have credit cards. Maybe they need to have a job. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I, that, that's a great question. And I, I feel that it goes back to, my, my, my belief that we are not preparing them for their relevant world. You know, our curriculum, I feel, is so outdated um, in terms of, let's take math, for example. Yeah. You know, we, we can teach all these higher level maths, um, math courses. And um, my math teacher colleagues, I, you know, I, I love you guys. Um, and yet it's, what is the relevancy, like, Will a teenager be well equipped when they, when they, um, you know, because they're on the cusp of adulthood. So once they cross that precipice, like when they when they're eighteen on their own, many of them will try to you know take a stake on their own. Will they understand what it takes for them to build their own wealth and what what is wealth? How do you measure wealth? Not just us, but how does the world measure wealth? And mm-hmm. then even in the world, there's different sectors that define wealth differently um and just qualifying for something that that you may need you know instead of just catching the bus maybe you do need a vehicle maybe your job does require you need a vehicle um so i i just i cannot i cannot say it enough like um when i listen to your question it's such a loaded question i sorry no no i love it i just (laughs) i my, my brain is like spinning yeah, I, I just wish we would, I, I wish we as an educational um, sector mm-hmm. would pause and really take a hard look at who our clients are. And not just now, but we should be pausing maybe every four years because that's how I see a generation, you know, freshman to senior year. And then assess ourselves, like, did we set them up? What is the world asking for? What are their expectations upon exiting high school and what can we do and i feel like we are not doing enough on that end where we are not flexing and flowing quick enough to keep up with the needs that are demanded and put upon our teenagers when they exit and not only school though like it's it starts at home as well although i do understand there is like you know with this pandemic there's like 
tremendous shifts in the household. Many students of ours, for example, went into the workforce oh, wow. to help supplement the income because parents in the tourism industry, the travel industry, they lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. And therefore, these 16, 17, 18-year-olds were like, okay, uh, miss, I don't think I can be student body, whatever, because I need to go get a job. Yeah, I need to go work. Yeah, and I totally, you know, totally understand it. Yeah. So. I like that you brought up math. I was like, looking at my kids' homework, is like, when do you ever <laughs> need to, like, multiply fractions together <laughs> in the real world? Exactly. If maybe, you become an engineer, yes. Maybe you're doubling a recipe. <laughs> but that's about Maybe, it. but then you'd go to trade school for that, right? You'd go to culinary school. No, you ask Google <clears throat> or, or Siri you, or, you or Alexa. Google. Yeah, so it's a very different world, you know? Yeah. I, I remember people asking, um, do we allow students to use a calculator for math and there is this huge like divide between educators yes and no and why and now it's not calculators they can use their phones yeah i tease my students all the time i'm like you know and they go oh miss i don't know this i go really you know back in my days i had to go to the library find the card go find the decimal system yeah now you you can um I mean, of course, you have to filter and figure out what's a credible source and so on and so forth. And that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, they they have a plethora of resources at their fingertips. And so if we tell them no using your phones, no calculators, like in the real world, I bust out my phone Mm -hmm. when I'm like, oh, what's the tip again? (laughs) Yeah, because you're also teaching them to, to look for the answer. Yes. Not just memorize the answer. Exactly. And know how to research, know how to look for it. Because that's more important. Because you're going to encounter so many times in life where you don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much you think and use your brain, you just can't come up with it. Right. You know, but the answer's out there if you look for it or if you know who to ask. Right. And that's, you just excited me by saying that because, you know, we were talking earlier about valedictorians. Oh, yeah, yeah. Honor student, you know, and off camera. I know, off camera, but that's okay. And uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the four student, mm-hmm. you know, and and yet I know that because of what I was taught, whether from my uh, my my household or and not or but and you know coaches or people who I feel were like cared enough to give me those life skills before mm. I set out on my own. Um, Oh my God, I just lost my train of thought. It's like the life lessons were more valuable than oh, yeah. the school. Oh, yeah. Than memorizing. Oh, yeah, memorizing. Yeah. Like, rote <clears throat> memorizing, I mean, it's good for like your basic multiplication table or whatever. But in life, like you said, like every single day we are faced with critical thinking. Like, you know, like, oh my God, is it raining right now? Is it going to rain? Like, something as simple as like, how do I dress for work? Or, you know, um, my daughters are photographers, for example. And like, when they're going to do an outdoor shoot, like they, they got to think ahead for anything, right? And be yeah. prepared for anything and be able to like just move on the fly because the client is paying them for it. And that's just them. You know, I'm, when you imagine like everybody every day having to make critical decisions, like are we really, really teaching critical thinking in the classrooms where, again, is that going to help them be productive and positively like successful in life, you know? I, I think of that all the time. Critical thinking. Oh, the other thing I'd like to throw in there is uh, public speaking. Oh, absolutely. You know, too many kids, brilliant, smart, but just they don't have the... Voice. Yeah, they don't have the voice. They don't have the confidence to put their thoughts out there to the world. And it's like, you need to learn how to talk. You need to learn how to speak, especially in this digital dig, this digital age. Right. Like, yeah, you can text all you want, but... You know, there's another thing you said. You said resources, blah, 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 people. Mm-hmm. Like people, you know, humans are a, a very valuable resource. And I think, not I think, I know that's where we we uh, we miss the boat. So when you talk about missing the boat yeah. is, you know, in school we make them take individual tests. We make them, mm-hmm. yeah, once in a while we have them do a group project. However, real life, it's really networking. Yeah. Like I don't know one single person who has built an empire or, or something by themselves, solely by themselves. And it is like something that is 
sustainable and, and, and really has a positive affect. It always took a network of people. And I wish that's what we would do more. And that is like, I'm a firm believer in that, like teaming, um, you know, finding each other's strengths and then putting them in the proper position so that everybody can thrive and, and move forward. Yeah. You know, my, my youngest son is, he has some group projects and stuff and he's not liking it because it was a group of three, him and one other boy were doing the majority of the work and the third one just wasn't. And some of it is distance based. So, you know, it's not entirely the kid's fault, Mm -hmm. but you know, there was that where they were put into a situation where they did have someone that wasn't contributing. And, but I think that's part of learning it. So part of my lesson to him when he was telling me about this was that your lesson isn't completing the project. Your lesson is learning how to deal with other people and how to get work done also, but also that, yeah, you're going to encounter people that aren't contributing as much as they maybe need to. And then how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to just sit and cry? Are you going to get mad? Or are you going to talk to the person and try to inspire them to, to help out more, find out what they can do versus what they haven't done? Right. And, and even beyond that, so for leadership training for the the classes I teach and, um, me being able to work with student government, it's really teaching them to advocate. Mm -hmm. Like if you see something that's not working, are you speaking up? Are you telling me and telling me, how is that helping? Go wide with your arms if you're going to talk with your hands. Mm. Yeah, that's why I'm holding my hands because I'm very like, I like to talk like this. I want to get back to like talking with hands though because I feel like it allows more out, but then you end up punching the microphone and stuff. (laughs) So it's just a setup thing. We'll have to figure that out later one of these days. Or just have more drinks. More drinks. Or hang the mic from the ceiling. Can we hang the mic from the ceiling? Thank you. Like I, I find like a common theme that keeps coming up with us is being able to um like helping others like like Mm -hmm. what like i always i always question myself like what am i doing that is positively like contributing to society like every day i wake up like okay what is my purpose today yeah and that's what helps drive me despite you know whatever's happening in in my my personal life i've learned that that's what helps me um just get through the day and and get through the day like i said like with a purpose but making sure like i'm creating something different or something new um i like to challenge myself because once i once i find myself slipping into like um a, too much of a comfortable space i i have to like check myself like wait were you always like that though cuz you had success throughout school mm-hmm. with with sports and um scholastically so were you always like that with regards to challenges and being too comfortable and then getting out of that comfort zone that's a good question i like i said i think looking back to my childhood and just the um the constant ebb and flow of just our our life in general i would learn later that it inadvertently started to teach me skills of um like survival skills that would mm. do do me well later on in life. But um, I also learned what I didn't want in my life. Mm. And I found that to be something that was very important for my sister. My, I have a sister who's um, close in age to me. And I remember us having a lot of conversations about like taking stock of how we felt and because we were on the receiving end and just being like, oh, I don't I don't I don't ever want this to happen again or or we would tell each other like if I ever do this to you like you better like check me on it or you know or okay. promise me you'll never do that to me or man if we ever have kids I don't want my children to ever feel this way you know whether we were wronged and or or whatever and so when I got to high school I feel like that was my my tipping point I feel like that was my pivotal point in my life where I was fortunate enough to have coaches and a few teachers and counselors what what have you who who saw me took stock of okay this is Risa this is what I see and then they totally like helped me to to first acknowledge it 
um, and then how to leverage it. And they were the ones who taught me like time management and, you know, like one of my coaches would say like, Schubert, why are you so comfortable with um, running your mile half ass? Like, you know, you got it, you know, and I'd, I'd be like, but I made my time. They're like, yeah, but why don't you challenge yourself to beat your time and then set another goal? And in my head, I'd be like, oh, I just want to get through my time. But later on, I would learn like, oh, it did serve me well to always do something different because in game situations, which you can't control, there would be something challenging me, which is my opponent. And because they instilled that in me, I was able to like adjust super quickly. And then in my real life, I found like when things are thrown at me, I can just adjust to it. Mm -hmm. And I've had people tell me that like in the event world, for example, because not only am I do I do events on our campus, but I've been fortunate enough to have um, other promoters or producers who have seen my skill set. Really? And then they would hire me to mm -hmm. come and run their operations. And, cool. then, and then it became, hey, can you can you manage a team? And then it became like um, somebody it was one of my students. Um, I think it was Emma who gave um, started this hashtag team Risa mm -hmm. and it's stuck ever since 2013. It has stuck mm -hmm. till now. And so when we do events, people would watch me at the door, which is, you know, we're the first line. We're, we're the infantry of any event. We're the, you know, people are in line. And if, if line management is poor, they're already coming into this, this concert or event with, a, with negative energy. Or so you're trying to, yeah, you're trying to de-stress the whole thing. Right. So uh, I've gotten many compliments along the way. And, and that's when I learned, like, oh, I didn't realize, like, it was something that other people value mm -hmm. positively mm -hmm. they're like wow you can handle very angry people <laughs> or you can you can handle um very difficult situations yeah. and, and i'd be like yeah doesn't everybody but then i'd learn like no that's not true because i would see other people just lose it whether they're like a security guard or mm -hmm. or, or they're an employee from that organization do, do you feel like you're good enough uh sometimes <laughs> yeah sometimes in the general world or is it just a continual challenge to improve yourself and yeah. help others improve yes wow yeah i i've never been asked it that way direct well yeah. well the way you framed it yeah um because when you said are you good enough mm -hmm. i i immediately was like okay. well, do you feel that you are good enough and i think what the the root of that is personally i don't feel that I'm good enough, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm always striving and striving and striving to improve just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. You know, whatever it is I'm I'm interested in doing. Right. right. I'm always looking for my weaknesses, mm -hmm. I guess. Yes. So I'm so glad you shared that in that way because I too, you know, it took me a long time to really be open to receive and not deflect. I was like the queen of deflecting um, compliments or when people would point things out, I'd be like, oh no, but look at them. Or, oh no, but, oh no, it wasn't me, it was them. Um, and it wasn't really until like the last, I would say maybe six years of my life where I've had certain people in my life who would just be very like um, pointed with me mm -hmm. and just be like, no, like why do you think people bring you on or ask you, to help with the same things is because you have this gift or whatever they call it, right? Talent, skill. And once I really took a step back and I would look at like what I do and why I do it and the success of it, um, whether it's in my classrooms or the teams that I can build, I realized, and, and even my own children, like I made many mistakes, but when I look at all three of those aspects, which I really love, those are like my passions, events, um, teaching, and m my children is, I do it all the same. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know what? That is my, that is my gift, I guess. That is what, because it doesn't feel like work, even though it is work <laughs> to parent and to teach and to, you know, run operations um, at an event it's all the same and and that's what keeps me honest is when i can see the successes of people who are immediately teaming with me with me 
at the helm. Like I'm the the driver, so to speak. Yeah, but you have a good network. Yeah, and and I just see like, okay, I you know I did I I like to do my homework. I like to do I'm 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 a person who will over plan, so that when I do bring a team on. I can like, okay, I know you're good at this, so I'm going to give this to you. You might not think you're good at it, but I see it. I'm going to let you run mm-hmm. with it. And I trust you. Go for it. Thank you. And so on and so forth. Whether it's in my classroom, my, my children, or, or with events. And, and so I've learned that because I continually try to challenge myself and I, I want to know more. And, and you know, it's a, it's a two-edged sword, right? I learn from them as well. Just like yeah. the conversations we're having off, off air. Like, I love learning from other people because it either sharpens me or it tells me like wow i really don't know more about this like i want to go learn more about it and so i i love i love 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 that question and how you said it like do i feel like i'm enough and and i i really hope that i never get to the point where i think i know it all (laughs) because then you know there's there's so many quotes about like then that's the death of of you like Mm. once you think you know it all once you think you have nothing else to learn like you're done so I love um, learning from other people and just being in different experiences to like uh, sharpen myself. I like Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's like, be comfortable and smart enough to know that you don't know everything. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's why I think one of the quotes I shared um, was, and I teach this, I think any student who has taken my leadership class will say, and sometimes they'll roll their eyes. My, ch- my own children were like, oh, but you know. But you're going to share is um, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's been my, like, that'll always come out of my but mouth. ma'am, that don't make sense. <laughs> what? Right, yeah. Yeah, I've had adult friends of mine be like, that's dumb, Risa, why do you even teach that? And then you're like, go home, take a shower, and think about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It'll come to you. <laughs> right. Right, right. Yeah, because, yeah, just, I, I do like that quote, be comfortable being or putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation Mm -hmm. the more you do it the less scary it is and we were talking about fear right and that's where i think you start taking the risks and stuff and the risks become less because you know you start you know you're normal with it and it's okay for you to take those risks Uh, especially when you're putting yourself in a place where you know all the things that you need to get done Mm -hmm. or all the people that you need to connect with or network with in order to achieve a goal right and so it starts to make that scary risk a lot less scary you know it's also about planning but just doing that it's it's getting out of your comfort zone getting out of your you know quote-unquote box right right and and I I wanted to share um, along the lines of that is um, so recently mm, just this past Saturday had a photo shoot with um, a photographer from the Wall Street Journal oh wow for for this um uh, yeah, this exercise, uh, it's called a burn board. And I remember leading up to it, I was telling my oldest daughter, like, she's from New York. She she used to um, shoot um, material for their marketing. Okay. Um, and when they were first starting up. And I was like, I don't know. Like, and I'm showing her the website. I'm like, look, these are CEOs, corporate people, engineers. Like, I don't, I don't fit. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think they're going to come and be like. like you belong there. Uh, I don't yeah, like I don't think she's good enough. So when you asked that question earlier, I was like, ooh, because I had those like, oh, I don't I don't know. Like, are you sure you want to shoot me? Like, I'm not some like fit mom that, you know, runs every day and, you know, eats all plant based food, you know. And um, but it's just a lot of that that whole like the fear of, well, what if I am good enough? Yeah. And And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And. Will I be judged if I feel like, yeah, I am good enough to be in the Wall Street Journal, <laughs> you know? No. Yes. Yeah, right? And that's the other part of the answer to, you know, that question. Are you good enough? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. You know, it should, it should be, a, it's not ever going to be a full yes, and I don't think it's ever going to be a full no. Right. You know, yeah, there are times when I'm not good enough, but yeah, you know what? There's other situations where, hell yeah, I'm good enough to do that. Hell yeah, I'm good enough to start this business. Hell yeah, I'm good enough to create a podcast and invite people that have you know name brand name recognition and stuff on the show it's you know mm-hmm. yeah i have to see that for both of what it is the double-edged sword right i love that and f- for me that that um that just made me think about uh why why i do what i do and how i do it 
I've learned that, you know, from everything we talked about earlier, I'm a female. I'm someone. Um, I didn't come from a privileged life. You know, it was it was a lot of struggles, which I learned a lot from. And when I look at where I am now, I've realized and I, and I used to never I would never feel comfortable before even admitting this. But I realized, like, I am like a role model. I, I can have a positive impact on other females. And I would learn later, even males, mm-hmm. you, you know, because I work with teenagers. And so whether it was the validation I got from my, my own children to my students. And then when I started doing events, the validation first came in, like what you were saying, it took one promoter to be like, hey, your skill set, I could use it and saw what I did. And, you know, I always want to do the best. You know, I, I want to, yeah. yeah, I want to do a great job. I got validated for that. I got compensated. And I remember giving the money back, like, no, this is too much money because I just feel like this and is they're just like, what nope, I, that's what we're paying you for. Right. And then it was, can, can you, what about managing teams? Can you build teams? And then it was like my former students who would graduate and come work at these events. And they were like, miss, it's all the same. And then my children grew up and then they would work my events and be like, oh, my God, mom, you're just like mom, but mm-hmm. business mom. But it's all the same. And in the end, it was. They all benefited from it because they got to practice their skill sets or build on, you know, to like they, many of them said, wow, I never knew I'd be good at this. Or why I didn't know I could like diffuse a situation and they became my best line directors because they're they have the gift of gab. Mm -hmm, They can, mm -hmm. you know, strike up a conversation or like de-escalate a situation. They're like, wow, that was kind of easy. And I was like, you're helping people to find their inner power and their superpower. Right. So whether the teams were 20 or 250 strong, it was just neat every single time for me to see like. Like my my work throughout the, the years of like really watching like just paying attention to people and seeing what their strengths are and then putting them in a position where I think you're going to succeed at that. And then seeing them even step up and do more. And then I was like, Oh my God, like, look what you just did helping them discover what they're good at. And like I said, like that, that's what drives me And it. Yes. It's a lot of work, but it, like I said, it just doesn't feel like work because it's, that's how I know I'm in my sweet spot. I'm doing what I feel like I should be doing, which is, helping other people like really find and discover and, and, and accept it and not deflect like what they're good at. And that is beautiful. <laughs> and thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing that. I like that whole last segment right there, like <laughs> just really, really bottled up everything that we've been talking about and how you're trying to help other people to find their roles, especially in leadership roles. Cause we need more good leaders right. going forward. Well, I mean, humanity always needs good leaders. Of course. So, great any last words for our fans out there um just thank you for what you're doing um i really i look forward to seeing the growth of this podcast and thank you future guests and i really did learn a lot today um especially from our off-camera conversations yeah um i i really appreciate what you're doing because i feel like this is what the world needs and um i really love the the element of talking story like everybody has a story and i really hope you continue this We will. We will not be stopping. (laughs) Thank you. All right, everybody. It's been great. And as always, stay happy, Hawaii. Gotta throw the shotgun.